So today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 5:15 to 21 and Ephesians 6:1 to 4. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thanks, Janine, and thanks, worship team. It's been a good morning already, and uh, we're only halfway through. Have you noticed how times have changed? Let me give you some examples. In 1900s, if a father put a roof over his family's head, he was considered a success. Today, it takes a roof, deck, pool, and four-car garage. And that's just the vacation home. In 1900, a father waited for the doctor to tell him when the baby arrived. Today, a father must gown up, learn how to breathe again, and make sure the battery in the video camera is charged. In 1900, fathers passed their clothing on to their sons. Today, kids wouldn't touch dad's clothes if they were sliding naked down an icicle. In 1900, fathers could count on children to join the family's business. Today, fathers pray their kids will soon come home from university long enough to teach them how to work the computer and set the PVR. In 1900, the fathers pined for old country, Romania, Italy, Germany, or Russia. Today, fathers pined for old country, Hank Williams. In 1900, fathers shook their children gently and whispered, Wake up, it's time for school. Today, kids shake their fathers violently awake at 6 a.m. shouting, Wake up, it's time for hockey practice. In 1900, a father came home from work to find his wife and children at the supper table. Today, a father comes home to find a note. Jimmy's at soccer, Cindy's at gymnastics, I'm at the gym, pizza in the fridge. In 1900, fathers and sons would have heart-to-heart conversations while fishing in a stream. Today, fathers pluck the headphones off their sons' ears and shout, when you have a minute. That's all too true in our house. Well, things have changed. But some things never change. God never changed. We know that Jesus is said to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And biblical truths never change. Our challenge in each generation is to find how that truth applies to this particular generation. And so we're been, we've been exploring some timeless truths. We've been in this series since just after Easter that we've called Standing Together about relationships. And we kind of broke that down into sort of three mini-series, community and what we might experience together as a congregation in marriage. And today we're going to transfer and shift to, to family. And so the passage that Janine read for us is a good starting point for us as we launch into these next few messages that will take us through to the end of the month. Pastor Ken will be back next week for Father's Day, and we'll, uh, we'll be speaking on, uh, on uh, Father's Day. 
And uh, I'm sure you've known this, that family matters, that it matters a lot. And uh, the passage that Janine read for us is a good passage. And I had her read the context uh, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 15, um, because it's easy for us when we just sort of plunk ourselves down almost towards the end of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, that uh, we would miss some of the bigger context and really what was happening. And I think there's a key verse that she read just before that in verse 18 that I just want to draw your attention to where he simply says that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us just to know that as followers of Christ, we need to ask God every day for his enabling and his filling of his Holy Spirit to enable us to do the things that he calls us to do. And as we're going to see in a moment, being an obedient child or being a parent who doesn't frustrate our children takes the enabling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to make a difference wherever we find ourselves and where it really matters. You see, we often quote John 13, 35, they will know we are Christians by our love, and we apply it to the relationships that we have with other Christians. We often put it in the church context that said, you know, when we really love each other, when we demonstrate how we as followers of Christ love others, then that is going to be attractive to people who don't know Jesus, and that might uh, encourage them to consider uh, the claims and consider following Jesus. But wouldn't this equally apply well to our families? That if our neighbors and the people we work with see that we have a a unique relationship within our families, children and and love and and everything that makes a healthy family, that that would be an example to people as well, that they would go, hmm, I wonder what they're on to. I need to talk to them about what, uh, what difference Christ makes in their lives. And there's an overall theme in this passage of Ephesians that talks really about submitting to God, about submitting to his word, about submitting to his principles. And the passage that she sort of skipped was the passage that Corey looked at uh, a number of weeks ago when we looked at uh, marriage and what that meant in terms of submitting to one another. And again, the only way we can do that is to be empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And in these four verses that we're going to focus on at the beginning of chapter 6 of Ephesians, there really is this wonderful balance. It's simply put, it's children obey and parents don't provoke your children. In other words, children need to be submissive to parents, but us dads, us moms, we need to then be submissive to the emotional and spiritual needs of our children as well. There's two truths that we're going to look at this morning. The first is what I'll just say, the children's compliance, and the second is the parents' conduct. And I just couldn't help myself. Here we go. The children's compliance. Simply put, it is a fundamental duty of children to obey their parents. Period. It is an essential universal law. Without it, you just have total chaos. How important is this principle? The Bible is clear that this is not only critical to our families, but to the very fabric of our culture. Obedience is one of the foundational building blocks of society. And just a couple of of passages that I'm not going to spend a lot of time elaborating on, but just to read. One is Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and 31, or 29 to 31. Listen to this long list of of just kind of horrible actions, and listen for the one that sort of pops out in the middle. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, 
greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And Paul's writing there just about this complete chaos and culture. And he's listing amongst murder and envy and strife and all of these things, suddenly disobedience to parents. He writes similarly in in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 to 5. And again, talking about the last days, he says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So he marks this list again. He's trying to describe this culture that's going to exist in the last days. And he uses all of these words about being ungrateful and and lovers of themselves and boastful. And all of a sudden, right in the middle, it puts this, disobedient to their parents. Interesting, isn't it? That when the wheels start to fall off a culture, according to 2 Timothy 3, one of the outcomes is that there's nothing to hold the family together and you have this disobedience that reigns supreme. Are we there yet? We just need to spend some time in Walmart and watch the little kings and queens in their chariots being pushed around the mall and dictating their mom to say, down this aisle, I want to go down this aisle. Mom, I want to go down. And, and you just see them just kind of go into this, this rage about trying to direct mom and dad into where, where they should go. Because wherever you see children and parents, it's very likely that you've observed this. And parents have either neglected discipline out of carelessness or laziness, Or we've made them so fearful to even lift a finger for fear that they'd be accused of child abuse. And so we're not doing very well at finding this balance because we go to either extremes. And we have total chaos as a result. You probably remember Jesus. We know him best as being the Son of God. We we celebrate his birth and we remember his death and his resurrection. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, He willingly submitted to the authority of His earthly parents. Think about it. Jesus was a teenager at one time. He was a junior high guy. And He obeyed His earthly parents. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Then He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And what's interesting about that is if you think back, if you remember this story, this is where Jesus and his parents had gone to Jerusalem to to celebrate the Passover. And the parents left, thought that Jesus was with them, but he stayed behind to teach. And so he was teaching in the synagogue and they came back looking for him and they find him teaching in the temple. And so he had the authority to teach. And then, after they came back and said, man, we were so worried about you, where were you? Then we read in verse 52, 
or 51, sorry, 251, that Jesus was obedient to his earthly parents. The Son of God willingly submitting to his parents. So why is obedience so important? There are four reasons that Paul gives us children to obey. First of all, because it is the proper thing to do. It's the proper thing to do. In verse 1, right at the beginning, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's just right. And this is a problem that we often find in our culture. Does anyone know what is right anymore? Does anyone ever care anymore? Morality just doesn't seem to be that important anymore. The dominant attitude is that people can do whatever they want to do and live however they want to live, just as long as it doesn't affect me. But it's really very simple. Some things are right, and some things are wrong. And as far as children obeying their parents, God's Word says that this is right. Now, maybe you've already decided to disobey. You have chosen the wrong thing. You've made a conscious, willful choice to rebel against God's standards. And that's not new. Many already have and have suffered the consequences of that choice because you can choose your actions, but you cannot choose the consequences. But the Bible makes it so clear that Obedience from children to parents is critical. And he says another place, Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And I like that because not only does he say that it's the right thing to do, he also says that it pleases the Lord. And so we do right. Secondly, we obey because it is a principle of Scripture. We obey our parents because it's a principle of Scripture. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, he quotes, which is the first commandment with a promise. So he quotes the Ten Commandments here, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So the first four commands in, or commandments that are listed there, there, there's no promise attached to any of them, and they all have to do with God. Honor me. Uh, above all other gods, you know, keep the Sabbath holy, all of these things. And then all of a sudden he comes to, okay, I'm going to switch now from focusing on God to focusing on other relationships. I'm going to start with the parents, and I'm going to make it clear that we need to, to, to honor and obey and, and respect our parents so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. First four, no promise. The fifth, something changes. And I wonder, why the promise? Why not a promise for any of the other commandments? And it seems to me that one of the reasons just might be that God has placed such a high priority upon this command that we are to do this, this obedience and honoring, with the realization that that, in fact, is God's design. And somewhere down the road, we'll look back and be glad that we did. That we didn't rebel against the authority in our home that God had rightfully established, and things went well. It's a principle of Scripture that I can't fully understand or explain, but there is blessing associated with obedience. Well, another reason, third reason to obey our parents is because it really is a protection for the child. And I already touched on this a little bit when he says, the promise is so that it may go well with you. That it may go well with you. That seems like a 
something that would be of interest to us? Do you want it to be well with you? Do you, do you want to have a good life? Because everybody at some point in their life has to learn the principle of submission to authority at some point in our lives. If we don't learn it at home, we'll struggle with it throughout our entire lives. And we come across this everywhere. And if we struggle with it in our home, there's a good chance that we're going to struggle with it at school, maybe someday on the job, maybe even in, in, in obeying police, or maybe as simple as respecting a referee's call whether it's in soccer or hockey or what sport you play. And sometimes if you spend much time in arenas, you know that as parents, we don't always set the greatest example, right? Now, they may make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But you still have to respect their authority. In our marriage and in our life, there will always be times where we have to submit to authority. If your boss tells you to be there at 8 and you show up at 8.30 consistently, what's going to happen? You're not respecting his authority. It's not about being late. It's about respecting the authority of the one <clears throat> that we need to submit to. And where do we learn to deal with authority? It's at home. It's growing up. And as parents, that's one of the main responsibilities I think that we have is to really help our children understand, listen, you are not king of this world. You will always be in submission to someone, somewhere. And a good place to start right now is right here in the home. And when we learn to deal with it at home, we learn to deal with it in other venues of life. You see, what we learn in the early years of our lives will be reflected in our attitudes through the rest of our years. And obedience is a good thing because it offers protection for the child. And lastly, because it is a promoter of long life. And again, I don't understand how this promise works exactly, but Paul thought enough of it that as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write this letter, that he quoted this fifth commandment, and he says it's the first commandment with a promise, and that promise is so that it may go well with you, and secondly, that you may enjoy long life on earth, may live long in the land the Lord your God is living is giving you. When I was growing up, um, I was quite young, probably, I don't know, 10 or younger even. I, I remember every Wednesday night, our church had a, uh, a prayer and Bible study that even as kids we would go to. And um, uh, this one family had a, an older mother that they would drop off at her place, and she was well into her 90s. And she would be dropped off. She'd already had dinner, and she'd sit on our piano bench, and we'd be having dinner. And, uh, you know, my sister and I, we'd kind of look over and we'd always look at her. And, and I remember thinking almost consciously at one time, going, man, she is really old. She must have honored her parents. That's what I thought. And, and I just remember this so well. And, you know, it's interesting because when you read through the scriptures, obedient children in the Old Testament, they did live longer. But this is not an ironclad promise of Scripture. Okay? It's a proverb. And proverbs tell us what life will be like under normal circumstances. And what I mean by that is, if you see a, a sleeping Rottweiler, you know that it's probably not a good thing to just to go up and yank his tail. Why? Because will the Rottweiler bite your arm off? 
No, probably not, but he may. And, and, and so that's how proverb of truth, truth, ah, excuse me. But this proverb here that we're looking at is a truth of life that you can generally count on. Obedience somehow has a way of playing itself out and promoting a long life. Let's face it. A person who grows up rebellious against every fabric of control has put himself on a path that leads to discouragement and destruction, not a good and long life. So that's the children's compliance. Four reasons. It's the proper thing to do. It's a principle of Scripture. It's protection for the child. It's a promoter of long life. And now the parents. And you've all been anxiously waiting for this. Verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Homes cannot be run by loving words alone. There has to be discipline as well. Because the nature of children demands discipline. The, they, they, they go from being very dependent to moving towards independence. And, and so they're always going to bump up against that authority that we've already talked about. The Bible includes many examples of families. And what I love about the Bible, and I believe it's almost one of the reasons why we can trust it to be God's word, is that he, he doesn't um, sugarcoat anything and he doesn't just give us all great examples of families that we would aspire to. There's actually probably many more examples of bad families in the scripture. Many of those who got it wrong. And in each case, the breakdowns of these families were always associated with parents who, who clearly violated understood principles of parenting. Let me give you some examples. David. The king, David, he pampered his son Absalom. He refused to discipline him or intervene in his life. And ultimately, rebellion and death not only turned the kingdom upside down, it sent his father to the grave as a broken man. Or Eli, a leader and priest who failed to discipline his sons, reaped a harvest of both personal and national shame because of it. Isaac, he, he pampered Esau and it tore his home in two. Jacob allowed favoritism and jealousy in his home to set his sons against one another. And I'm, there are many others that we could, we could look at as well. And it's interesting here to see the fathers singled out in this passage. Uh, it just kind of made me wonder, are we more likely to exasperate our children? But as I looked a little further, I, I realized that we were off the hook just a little bit. Because in Hebrews 11, chapter, 20, or chapter 11, verse 23, the same Greek word there that is used here to translate fathers, there is translated as parents. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. And that leads me to conclude that this training and instruction thing just isn't a father's responsibility. It is a parental responsibility. And just a word to single mums and dads, you carry the dual and double responsibility. The times where I learn so much more respect for those that, 
that find themselves in that place in life is when Tina leaves and goes and visits her family and I'm left parenting two children and now it's no longer being able to share rides and get them in different directions. Now it's trying to figure out how am I going to be in two different places at the same time or making meals or doing laundry. Uh, You know, the last time Tina was gone, I remember Anna for several days saying, Dad, can you do some laundry already? And uh, it's just a challenge. It's hard, hard work. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if you find yourself in that situation, that you would lay the weight of those responsibilities right at the feet of Jesus. And I pray that you would find hope and strong help even as you trust him because you can't do it on your own. But know that you have someone who is there with you. It's even like we sang this morning, the God of angel armies. He never leaves you. He's there before you. He's behind you. He's at your side. Count on him to help you through it. But God is good, and he shows us not only what not to do, but what to do. But he starts here with what not to do. This is a good word. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Have you ever looked up the word exasperate and know what it means? Don't irritate. Don't provoke to anger. Don't discourage them by unreasonable demands. And you have to admit it, sometimes as parents, we do get on our kids a little too much. Maybe we're constantly fault-finding. Maybe we're critical or sarcastic. Maybe we just have an unceasing list of don'ts, make unreasonable commands, inconsistent discipline, and maybe the worst is inappropriate discipline. And if we treat our kids that way, then it will be very difficult to generate the kind of honor and respect that Paul was writing to the kids about. And it's hard work, but it's absolutely critical. Because within the exercise of parental authority, there's a crucial need for understanding and love, for justice and self-control. As parents, we, again, being filled with the Holy Spirit, have to see the fruit of the Spirit being developed in our lives, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That as we approach our children, as we relate to our children, that they would see that our lives are marked by love and by joy and by peace and by patience, right? And kindness and self-control. You see, if those kind of characteristics mark our lives, it, 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 it really makes a, a, a much better environment for our children to be able to respond appropriately as well. And so those should be evident in our parenting. And there will be times when kids cross the line, obviously, But a parent then steps further out of line by overreacting to that. And sometimes the discipline then is just completely over the top. Colossians 3.21 is really a kind of a parallel passage to this. I already referred to verse 20. But there it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And even in in a kind of a negative word like that, we can look at that and say, okay, well, if that's what we're not supposed to, how can we turn that around? I mean, our job, I think, as parents is to be the greatest encouragers and cheerleaders of our, of our kids. I remember 
asking Lucas when he was very young, probably like when he was five. And, and I wanted to make sure that I was getting this right. And, and I specifically asked him, I said, Lucas, probably one of these times where you're tucking your kid in bed and it's just like, do I frustrate you? Of course I was hoping he'd say no. He said yes. I'm like, really? How, how do I frustrate you, Lucas? It kind of had me concerned. And he says, when you tell me a thousand times that you love me, when the kids can say that. I'm like, oh, well, is that too much? It's like, yes. And I'm like, well, what should I do? Like, once a day, once a week? Like, give me some direction. It's like, once a day. And we still try to do that. You see, we all have our moments. As parents, sometimes, let's face it, we are just irritable. We're stressed about something. We're not a lot of fun to be around. But God forbid that that should be a pattern of our lives, that that marks our lives. There will be occasions where that might be true. But let's not that let ever let us describe the general environment in our homes. As Paul says, don't discourage your kids. Don't exasperate them. Don't provoke them to anger. But he also tells us what to do. And there's some principles here that I think are important for us just to highlight briefly this morning. The first is the principle of diligence. Just being diligent. He says, bring them up. Bring them up. This is a biblical phrase that implies a serious responsibility for their spiritual, moral, mental, and physical well-being. It's a very encompassing term. In fact, in Ephesians 5.29, when Paul was speaking to the same group of people, he said, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it or nourishes and cherishes it. The same word is used there. So it's a biblical responsibility for parents to nourish and lovingly care for their children. And it's a huge responsibility. And it's hard work. It's not suitable for the faint of heart or for the lazy. So listen, parents. God put us in charge. Yes, but discharge that duty in a godly way. Be diligent. Secondly, it's the principle of discipline. Not only diligent, but while we're at it, then we need to bring them up in the training or the nurture of the Lord. And, and nurture means discipline. It means correction. New American Standard translates this verse, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews 12, verse 16, where the writer says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. There are times when we need to discipline. And I know it can be a very controversial subject, but we have other parents that we need to talk with other with them and, and get ideas and just say, you know, this isn't working. And I can tell you this too, if you have more than, than one child, you realize that every child is different. And it takes unique strategies. So you can't just go, well, this is what we did with child number one. We may as well do this with child number four. It's probably not going to work. So we need to learn what works in that given uh, child's life. But here's an important principle that I, I really want to highlight because I think it's important to remind ourselves that discipline should have to do with disobedience 
not for mistakes. Not for mistakes. Children should never, ever be disciplined for some normal, natural thing that happens to all kids. Right? When your kid is under two and crawling and learning to to pull up themselves on furniture, how many of them have pulled over plants in your homes? Right? Do you think they just willfully went over and went, boop, and looked at you? Now, if they thought it was funny the first time when it was an accident, they'd probably go over there and you're like, no... No, and they go over. You're like, no. And they're like this, and they look, right? They've done that too. Now something's changing. And so we've got to be really wise and discerning to go, is this a mistake, or is just this willful defiance at this point? Mistakes are never a matter for discipline. And that's a good thing, right? Because you make mistakes, and I make mistakes, So why wouldn't we let our kids be human too? You see, when it comes to this whole issue of discipline, I think that's where we run into trouble sometimes. Is that we're just not consistent enough. We become inconsistent. And, and And our kids don't really know the boundaries anymore because, well, one time it was this and one time it was that. And sometimes we're either way too soft or sometimes we're way too hard. And that is the challenge, isn't it? To find kind of that sweet spot where we can be consistently firm and fair, not wishy-washy, not neglecting our responsibilities, not over the top. We find that sweet spot where we apply this principle of discipline in our families. And thirdly, it's the principle of direction. Paul writes, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, I'm going to reread that. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. That's the diligence in the training. That's the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruction of the Lord. Parents, we need to teach our kids. We need to teach them a whole host of life skills, biblical truths, where we have the responsibility to instruct and to train You see, God places that responsibility upon parents in the areas of character and morality where we teach our kids what's right and what's wrong and the importance of life's priorities. And in doing so, I pray that we would never lose the joy of being parents and the sense of humor that comes from interacting with our children. We need to be able to laugh and to say, "Uh uh-uh, not this time, not now, no, you wouldn't do that. I love you too much to let that happen. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And it just is a reminder again that as parents, we have the primary responsibility to teach our, our children Christian values. And we have to commit ourselves to giving our children the Word of God. And how do we do that? We, we need to teach it to them and read it to them. And yes, by all means, we bring them to church. But our children's ministry, and they're doing a great job, and you, you've heard about some of the changes that, uh, that they're making, this orange thing, remember? And, and I, I'm probably going to get the colors right or wrong, I mean, and uh, I don't know if Anne or Tennille or Asher are here to correct me, but this whole idea in their wearing, you might see them think orange and, and, uh, 
And the whole purpose of that is just to, you know, the primary colors of yellow is the family and red is, is the church. And when you put yellow and, and red together, what do you get? You get orange. And, and so this whole orange is just a, is a metaphor for talking about how the church and the family really needs to partner together. And, and if you go into Anne's office, I was almost going to bring it out this morning and put this display, but she's got these jars of belly, jelly beans on her, on her um, bookshelf. And I think there's four completely filled up jars of jelly beans and then a fifth jar that just has a few at the bottom. And, and I didn't know this, and I asked her, because every time there's a few kids that come into the office, they know that there's jelly beans in Anne's office. And so I'm like, Anne, what's the deal with the jelly beans? And she goes, that just is symbolic of the fact that the time that parents have with their kids are the first four full jars of belt jelly beans, and the time that they're at church is, this, is the one with just a few jelly beans at the bottom. And the point is this, that as parents you will have way more time interacting and teaching and instructing and and working with your children than the church ever will have. But as a church, we can come alongside, we can work together, we can resource you. And so there's a whole bunch of neat, like there's a, there's a parent queue that some of you are already getting. Um, there'll be things in the, in the fall that will launch where you'll have a, an app that you can download onto your iPhone or smartphone or whatever that will just give you a reminder of, here's a conversation starter for the dinner table. Because let's face it, sometimes when it comes around the dinner table and we want to talk about spiritual values, we know, we just don't know where to start or what to do. And a great place to start is to say, Hey, what did you learn yesterday at church? And you'll know what it was because you'll have the information as well. And so we need to take God's word and talk about it and illustrate it and live it and make it the subject of a thousand conversations. See, family matters. God has designed it. And he's given us principles in his word to live by. He's given us the truth that we need, and He's empowered us by the Holy Spirit to put that truth to work. And it really is simple. Finding the balance is the hard part, where children honor and obey their parents. Parents love and nurture and discipline and teach and train. It's not for the faint of heart, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to be able to do it well.